One of the things um, that is not listed in your bulletin that I want to, uh, to share with you, let me give you a heads up if you have your Bibles while I'm kind of doing this kind of quick announcement if you want to go to Matthew chapter 18. That's what we'll be this morning. Uh, but I need to let you know that after months of waiting, months and months of waiting, uh, the pictorial directories are in. So after the worship service today, we have directories that, you're, that, that we invite you to pick up. Now, let me kind of explain because we have two different directories. If you, got your, if you or your family or individually got your picture taken for the pictorial directory, we have one of those for you. Just so you know, it's not us being stingy, but they give us one for every family or every picture that gets taken. So if you got your picture taken in the Wesley room, kind of in the, the window there, is a pictorial directory. If you didn't, we still have directories. They're print directories. They just have everybody's name and address. And you're invited to pick up one of those. So everybody gets one. It's just a matter of which one you get. So it's kind of an honor code. So um, they'll be available there in the Wesley room right here in the kitchen area right after worship. So please feel free to go pick one up and we'll have them for a few weeks so that everybody gets a chance to get one. So just wanted to, uh, to make you aware of that. Now, our scripture this morning Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Uh, Just a few verses of very, very specific instructions that Jesus gives us for navigating life together, which is the title of the sermon, dealing um, with with each other and with relationships and and who we are called to be. Uh, If you have a Bible like mine, and a lot of you do, I know that because subtitles or subheadings for sections, this section of Scripture uh, for my Bible is labeled Dealing with Sin in the Church. And uh, it is some very, very specific direction that Jesus gives us. And so let's open our hearts, let's open our minds, and let's hear these words of Christ. Verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, some of your versions may say sins against you, Go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you won't, you have, I'm sorry, won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that your Word would speak to us today because in us you create hearts that are willing to listen, ears willing to hear. Because this is your Word. We are your people. Do with it. Do with us as you would. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. How many of you are familiar with a gyroscope? You know, what's a gyroscope do? Navigates, it balances, 
It um, writes things, if you will, restores things. Gyroscopes are technologies that kind of um, help kind of write things that may have gotten a little off kilter. I, I know there's probably far better, far more technical definitions to give of that, but um, I'm not that smart. So that'll be as good as it's going to get this morning. But a gyroscope helps kind of give some balance. Now, how many of you carry a gyroscope around? Oh, I bet more of you do than you know. In fact, and some of you are raising your hand because you were at the other service. You don't get credit for that. Um, how many of you have smartphones? Really? Okay. All right. How many of you have tablets? Okay, you have gyroscopes. You have gyroscopes. Gyroscopes, I, I was thinking about this, and I knew where I was going with this, when um, Friday night, a number of the youth that you see helping out today, Tony and I, uh, Gretchen Rath, Joe and Julie McNaughton, we were with the youth at uh, Rock the Universe. You saw a lot of the pictures, if you were paying attention to the slideshow. Um, Rock the Universe, Night of Joy, you, you've probably heard us talk about that in the past. Uh, it's a night at the either Universal or Disney from about 4 o'clock to 1 a.m., and they have Christian concerts, and the rides are open, and it's a lot of fun. And there was a bunch of us that were waiting around Friday night for uh, Wren Collective concert, one of the bands that was playing, and it was raining, and we were there earlier. And, and, and so I was doing what I do. I just pay attention to people. I just watch because you get good sermon material out of watching people. <laughs> and, uh, and, and not that this was any news, but, you know, Young people, but, but not just young people, but predominantly, you know, they, they kill time with their phones. I mean, they take pictures of everything. They selfie to death. It's obnoxious. But, you know, they're taking pictures, and then the concert starts, and they, you'll see as many phones go up. I mean, they watch and they record at the same time. But the gyroscope technology, because I was watching this a little bit, if you don't know what it does... The gyroscope technology is what allows you to hold a smartphone or a tablet, and no matter which way you hold it, it writes the picture. So you're looking, you're not looking at a sideways picture. You're not looking at um, something that's out of whack, if you will. If, if you're not familiar, I, I grabbed this. This is just a picture on my tablet. This is a picture of me and Tony from a couple years ago. Okay, this is what a gyroscope does on a tablet or a smartphone. Please tell me that turned. Okay. <laughs> really would have blown it had it not. It turns it so no matter which way you face, things are right. It makes sure things stay in a proper alignment, if you will. That's a good way to put it. They put things in a proper alignment. Now, we need in our lives, in a lot of senses, spiritually and relationally, we need figurative gyroscopes. We need tools and resources that can work within us, that work through us, to help write things that tend to get off kilter. And one of those areas of our lives that we need the spiritual gyroscope is in our relationships, in the way that we relate, and specifically in the church. This is true in all our relationships, but even right here in the church, in the way that we get along with one another. Because we are called to faith. We are called to faith in Christ. We are called to a personal submission to Jesus, a personal invitation of Jesus to be Lord and Savior. But we are called to live out faith. We're called to do life together in relationship with each other. 
Your faith is never just about you and God. The scriptures are always about us and God. And there's an individual component, but there's always community. From Genesis 12 all the way through Revelation, the story of faith is about community of people. There's individual stories. Moses. Moses is an individual story. But Moses was called to be what? A deliverer of his people. The prophets were called to, to call the people to faithfulness. Uh, Jesus called the people to life together, to do, to do faith together. And that matters. In fact, it's, it's not a, a coincidence that at the end of this text that I read, at verse 20, are those very, very famous words that Jesus speaks when he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. And Jesus is communicating a very powerful truth that when we gather together with others in faith, that Jesus shows up in a very unique and a very powerful way. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't present in your personal prayer time and your one-on-one time. Then that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not a either-or. It's a both-and. But Jesus does communicate that in our gatherings, there's a, a powerful presence of Christ that is felt. That's why Paul admonishes the church in Hebrews 20. Do not neglect meeting together. You need to, to do life together. You, we need worship. We need to be the church. Whether that be in a corporate setting like this, whether it be with a few people together in a living room, studying the scriptures, praying, supporting each other, Jesus shows up in real and powerful ways in our gathering. And so we're called to this journey together. We're called to be in relationship with each other. That's what the church is, a community of believers. And the the best thing about the church is us. Again, I did it again. That's theologically poor. The best thing about the church is the presence of Christ. But one of the blessings of the church is us. But while it's also one of the blessings, one of the weaknesses of the church is us. We make church hard. In fact, look at the person to you're sitting next to and look at them and tell them, you make church hard. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm joking. Don't do that. I just wanted to see if you'd do whatever I told you to do. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me feel good. Um, but it's true. But, but it's true. We, we, we make church hard sometimes. Now, I, I want to be careful here because this is the part of the sermon that pastors are famous for kind of, this is where we start beating up the church. And we start to talk about all the weaknesses of the church and all the ways that we fail and all the ways that we're not faithful. And, and those are true, and we do. But, but I want to, I also want to say a word of, of encouragement because it has been one of the great joys of my life that I have been a part of the church since my earliest memories. And I have never seen people that do a better job of loving each other and trying to be faithful and supporting those who are in need than I've seen in the church. So, so let me say, I think very often we do, and we do make God smile. Very often, we are absolutely faithful to what Christ has called us to. But, not always. And many of you are sitting here today, and you have stories where you've experienced the but. That could go more than one way. Of the church. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Don't, come, don't, write, me, don't write me any letters, please. 
but where you've experienced the, the, the other side, where, where you've been wounded and you've been hurt by the actions of, of those who were called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And so all the good stuff, that, that, that doesn't change the experience that we have and the difficulties that we have and the challenges that we face. And Jesus, from the beginning, he knows this. He knows it's going to be hard. And so he talks about this, that where two or three are gathered, there I am. That's the church. But before he mentions that, he gives us some very specific instruction in how to live our life together. In fact, he gives us some instruction in how to work and how to allow the Holy Spirit to work to be kind of a spiritual gyroscope. When our relationships get turned sideways or upside down, to bring some restoration, to to right things. And in the Scripture, there's kind of three steps he gives, and this isn't one of those sermons where we're going to go step by step. I'll mention the second and the third step. It's incredibly straightforward. You know, this is a text. You get it. Read it. it. It's not hard to decipher what Jesus is telling us to do. But I believe that we fall short very often right at the beginning. That if we could get step one right, if we could do the very first thing that Jesus instructs us with consistency and with faithfulness, we would short-circuit most of the problems and the difficulties we have with one another from time to time. Not all of them, not every time, but I think most of the time, if we just hear Jesus at the very beginning, we could stop short of a lot of the issues that we face with each other in being the church. So let's go and hear what the first thing Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, or again, sins against you, go. Stop right there. If your brother or sister sins, go. This is what we miss. And it's not because we don't go. This is speaking to communication. I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about what every marriage counselor stresses. If you did marriage counseling before you got married or you've ever been in counseling, communication, communication, communication. You hear it all the time. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. And he says that we need to communicate, and we communicate by going. And and. The tendency is to think that that's what we don't do, that we don't go. The problem is we do go, but we go in the wrong way. We go in the wrong directions. Let me tell you what I mean. Kimla's sitting in the hot seat right now, so I'm going to use her as an example. But well, let's just say Kimla and I, we have a great relationship, and I, and I love Kimla, and I know Kimla loves me. But let's just say one day Kimla does something that really upsets me. Kimla hurts my feelings. She offends me. She, she Whatever it is. See? I'll go, but this is the way a lot of us go. And I'm not throwing stones, but what we do, Kimla does something to me, and I go, but I go to Mick. <laughs> and they go, Mick, you know what she did to me? Can you believe? She jerky jerk. I can't believe she did that to me. And I start to talk about what Kimla has done, and I may be right. I may be genuinely wounded. I may be genuinely hurt. I may have every right to be upset, but I go to Mick to talk about what Kimla has done. Or I go to Lenore to talk about what Kimla has done. And I start to circumvent. Instead of going to the person 
who has wronged me, to the person who has upset me, to the person who has offended me. And I go in the wrong direction. And I know I'm not the only one who falls into this trap. Now, I also know that's not everybody's burden. Some of you are very direct personalities. I know some of you are the kind of personality that if somebody says, you go straight to them and you let them know. And that is admirable most of the time. Direct personalities have their own challenges, and you know what I'm talking about, and that's a different sermon, so we'll save that. But a lot of us don't do that because confrontation's uncomfortable. It's, it's um, sometimes hurtful. It's certainly, uh, if you're like me, it, it'll keep you up at night. And so we go around the problem. Or we get passive-aggressive. Or, you know, we, we act out in different ways, but we don't go in the ways that Christ has instructed us. And here's the problem. When we don't go, we don't solve. We don't restore. We don't right relationships. And see, here's the thing. The truth is, you can be, you can be wronged, and you can still be wrong. Okay? You can be wronged, and you can still be wrong in the way that you deal with it. Christ says, go. But he's talking very specifically about going to the person who has offended, upset, hurt you. When I was serving my first full-time, well, not full-time, but my first senior pastorate, I was serving uh, the church in, in Oldsmar. And uh, one of the things about my nature, those of you that, that have you know, gotten to know me and even just hearing me preach is, is I'm a jokester. I, I'm sarcastic. Uh, I have two brothers that are my best friends in the world, but we relate to each other sarcastically. Um, we show affection by insulting one another. That's, that's what we do. And that's just, the, my, you know, if you heard my brothers call me, usually I'll answer the phone with some sarcastic, you know, bite to them, and they do it to me, and it's, it's done in love, and we understand each other. You would listen to it and go, oh, my gosh, he hates them. But that's, not, that's just who we are, and that's kind of the joking that goes on in our, the dynamic of, our, of, of my family. And so that's the way I often relate. And there's danger in that. And one day, I was there at the church with some other um, volunteers, and we were organizing and putting some stuff away. And I was in one of the rooms, and people were bringing some things in that we were stacking up. And I'll, I'll just use the name Jim. Jim was coming in the room, and I saw him coming in the room. And, and I like Jim. So I turned my back to stack some stuff up, and people gave me some stuff, and I, I made a joke. I said, oh, we got to get this stuff right, because you know Jim. If we don't get this right, Jim's going to be all over us. And I knew Jim was standing right there. But Jim didn't know that I knew he was standing right there. Jim didn't know that I was joking. Jim thought I was being serious. Jim thought he'd come in unannounced and had caught me talking about him. Jim was hurt. And he was upset. And he, was, he was sad that you know, his pastor would say these things about him. And Jim walked out of that room wounded. And I never knew it. The next morning, a Sunday morning, I got an email. And it was Jim, and it was Jim telling me what I had done to hurt him. I'm not necessarily saying the email is the best way to do it, but that's how he did it. And, and I can remember 
reading that email, and, and I will confess to you, my first instinct was defensiveness. My first instinct was, come on, I was just kidding. It was just a joke. But it wasn't to him. And I didn't mean to, and it was never my intent, but I had. I had. And, and I've had to learn uh, that lesson. I've also had to learn a lesson. And here's a side note. Here's a little piece of advice if you don't know. Feelings are never wrong. Feelings are never wrong. They may be misunderstood, but they're never wrong. When, when Tony and I first got married, this was a tough lesson for me because that same jokester side of me would come out and I would kind of always messing with Tony and always kind of picking and just thinking I was having fun. And there's a lot of times I remember her coming to me and saying, man, that really kind of hurt my feelings. And my initial response was, come on, Tony, I'm just kidding. And I had to learn, it didn't matter what I intended it to be. If it was hurting her, it was hurting her. And I had to change. And, and that was one of those moments when I went, ah, I didn't mean it, but I did. Now, here's why I bring up that story, because Jim did exactly what Jesus talked about. Jim brought it to me. Now, I don't know, I don't know if he talked to anybody else. He might have, but he brought it to me. And at that point, I could begin to try to work to restore. I could begin to apologize, to try to make things right, because I had done something inadvertently that had hurt somebody. I think 80% of the wounds that we inflict upon each other, we don't mean to. I mean, there are times when people are mean-spirited. There are times when people are hurtful. I don't deny it. I wish it wasn't so, but I know that's true. But I think a lot of the times our problems, our struggles, our wounds are caused by miscommunication, failure to talk to each other, fail to understand one another. And the problem is, instead of dealing with them up front, getting right to the heart of the problem like Jim did, we begin to go in the wrong directions. And we begin to fan flames that create fires that if we'd have just heard Jesus right here in Matthew 18, 15, we could have snuffed out before it ever became a problem. Jesus tells us to go. But there's another thing here that I don't want to skip. As Jesus says, if your brother and sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Because the other tendency we have is to start to amass an army that we can align on our side against whoever's hurt us. Because, let's face it, here's a natural tendency. We kind of want to get even. I mean, maybe you don't have that, but, but that's an instinct. You know, I heard somebody once say, I'm really good at forgiving people after I've gotten even. You know, that's, that's how we feel sometimes. And so we begin, and again, we fan these flames of, of discontent. We, we fan these flames of... And again, you may be completely right. You may have been treated unfairly. You may have been wounded. But we handle it in ways that are completely wrong. If we would just hear Jesus at the beginning, go. Yes, it may be a little uncomfortable. But that's who we're called to be. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Even though we don't always get along, we don't, we're called to do life together. And sometimes that means we have to navigate the sticky points. I mean, what relationships in our lives, marriages, siblings, parents, friends, co-workers, do we not have some of these bumps in the road? If you figure out a way to completely avoid them altogether, please, you need to be up here next week telling us how to do it because I haven't figured that out. 
go, go. Now, again, it's not a foolproof way. Jesus doesn't paint that picture either. He says, if that doesn't work, then he talks about steps two and three. Steps two is then you get some other people involved. You bring some other people to try to help mediate. But again, keep in mind, it's not build an army to go attack. It's meant to try to bring people along to help restore the relationship. That's always at the heart. It's not get even. It's not attack. It's not push. It's restore. It's heal. It's make what was broken right. And then... If that doesn't work, Jesus says, then you treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that sounds really, really harsh. But remember who Jesus loved. Pagans and tax collectors and prostitutes and, and those who are unfair. So it's not a you write them off altogether. But there are times in our lives where we do the best we can to be faithful and relationships are broken and they can't be reconciled for whatever reason and the dynamics have to change. That does happen sometimes. You all have been there. I have been there. But I'm telling you, that's a minority of the circumstances. When we start at step one, most of the time we will find healing. We will be agents of grace. One of the greatest gifts you can give somebody is the gift of your forgiveness when they've wronged you. When I've wronged people, one of the greatest gifts they give me, and I feel awful, is the gift of forgiveness. One of the greatest gifts I can give others when they've wronged me is the gift of forgiveness because that's who we're called to be. It's that spiritual gyroscope that sets things right. And there's something that's really, really powerful about this chapter in Matthew 18. And I will confess to you, I know that I say this all the time. I know that I say the words I'm about to say and some of your eyes roll back in your head because you're like, how many times is he going to say this? Well, I'm going to say it again. Context, context, context. Because there's something really, really significant that's happening here in Matthew 18 that I didn't see until I went back and reread the whole chapter. Because scriptures are always in a larger context. And so here is what's happened in Matthew 18. You've you got to pay attention to these kind of things because right before Jesus speaks these words, he told a parable. He told a parable of the lost sheep in which he communicates that as the good shepherd, he will leave the 99 sheep in the pen to go after the one that is lost. Jesus is saying to you and to me that no matter how far you go, no matter how much you wander, I'm coming for you. That I will go to any length to receive you, to win you back, to bring you back into my safekeeping. We are the lost sheep who Jesus will not stop pursuing. And his arms that scoop us and bring us, that's his grace, that's his mercy, that's his forgiveness. And so Jesus tells this story about us and talks about how far he goes to, to win us, to love us, to be with us. And then he teaches these words. But then there's a story that comes right after. And it's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's a parable about a servant who is forgiven of his debts, who does not share that forgiveness and grace with another. And it's a, it's a parable of judgment because the one who was forgiven does not show forgiveness. So before Jesus talks about his unquenchable reach for us, and on the back end, he talks about the servant who receives forgiveness, who doesn't share it. Do you think maybe Jesus is trying to make a point? Do you think maybe Jesus is trying to say, don't give up on others because I don't give up on you? 
And he's calling us to let the Holy Spirit work to set right the relationships that get flipped upside down, to be our spiritual gyroscope. It is not easy. I don't ever pretend. And if you're like me, it's hard, hard work to do this kind of stuff. I've had people each, more, each day, each service today, come up to me and said, wow, you must have been talking to me. Nope, I'm talking to me. You're just in the conversation. I don't do it faithfully as well as I should either. But that doesn't change God's call. We're called to life together. We're called to be the church. And I'll say this, friends, people are watching. People outside these walls watch to see how we love and forgive and show grace to one another. And we're called to do it as faithfully as we can. To be a people that seek forgiveness when we wrong others. But hear this. To be a people that extend forgiveness to others when we have been wrong. Because if you think coming to church means you will never be offended or hurt by other people, we need to talk. We need to talk. But we're called to life together. And we're called to live into the example of Christ. He gives us the key. Go. Just go in the right direction. And allow God to work to, to right things that are broken. Because God will. God will. He gives us a model. He gives us a plan. He gives us an example as we're called to be this family. I pray that by his grace we can live into that calling. That we will be faithful as he's called us to be. Let us pray. Gracious God, this is hard work. This thing called church, life together. We struggle. Sometimes we fall short. But you are a God of grace and mercy. You are a God that restores us in Christ, that makes things right with us. Help us to do that for each other, to make things right, to be sharers of your mercy as much as we are receivers of it because that is the way of Christ. We pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table of communion today, I was reflecting this morning on this meal that we celebrate and the example of Christ, if you remember there in the upper room, the night when he took the basin of water, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. This night when he shared with them this gift of bread and juice, this, this meal. Do you remember, though, what the Gospels say the disciples were doing when Jesus came into the room that night? Do you remember what they were doing? They were arguing. They were arguing with each other about which one of them was going to be the greatest. These 12 men, 11 of whom would be the foundation of the church. These were the first church along with others. And they got it wrong right out of the gate. And that gives me a lot of hope. Because we've been getting it wrong for 2,000 years. And God ain't given up on us yet. Christ doesn't give up on us. Let's not give up on one another. So we remember... That at that meal, with those imperfect people around a table who he invited into that room, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it. And he said to them, to the guys who had just been arguing, 
as they didn't understand what his kingdom looked like. He said, this is my body. It is broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. When you eat this meal, do it in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. And he gave thanks to God. And again, he gave it to them. And he said, take and drink all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so with hearts of remembrance and gratitude, we celebrate the mighty acts of God in Jesus Christ. And we proclaim the mystery of faith, which says Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, before us are these ordinary gifts, bread and juice. But by your Holy Spirit, make them to be an extraordinary presence of your body and blood. That we would be a people that recognize that in the blood of Christ we have been redeemed. And we are a people that are called to go forth to be the body. And to love and forgive as we have been loved and been forgiven. So by your Spirit, make us one with Christ. And then, and then one with each other. In unity and ministry to the world. And we would be faithful until the day comes we enter into your kingdom and feast forever at your holy banquet. With your Holy Spirit and your holy church, Gracious Lord, all honor and glory is yours now and forever. Amen.